0: Remember, I think it was last year, Easter Sunday, or Palm Sunday was one of the spring break Sundays, and we had a pretty poor turnout of kids, so this was awesome to see. Um, I've had a lot of people kind of, I guess I kind of knew, uh, excuse me, I guess I kind of knew on Wednesday that I'd be talking this week. And so in the meantime, I've had a lot of people kind of ask, Well, do you think you can talk that long? <laughs> to them, I say yes. And back when I first got here, uh, Lauren and Buddy were both in ninth grade. We had youth group Sunday, Sunday nights. Uh, six to eight was our high school youth group. Uh, there were times we would, I'd give myself about half an hour for our lesson, and we'd get out about 40 minutes late. Um, so, I mean, I can go for a while. <laughs> Just just saying, that was with like a sheet of notes, I've got like six pages here, so I hope you are ready for what God has to say to you this morning. Um, in all seriousness, uh, our passage this morning takes us back to a day or two before uh, Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, of course, was the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, and the people were there with the palm branches, and they were shouting Hosanna, and um, it was just a wonderful time before that we're going to start our, our, our scripture reading is from uh, John 12 but if you have a Bible you can kind of open it up to John 11 first we're going to start there a little back just before um, just before where we start Jesus had been to Bethany to see his friend Lazarus and his um, and his two sisters Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha had sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick and Jesus stayed where he was for another two days before he traveled there. Um, and he did this in order that his glory might be shown. Lazarus died. Um, in the meantime he, when Jesus got to Bethany, Lazarus had been dead in the grave for four days. He comes out and Martha comes out to greet him and says, Lord, if you were here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. You could have saved him. Martha comes out and she's so upset that she's just weeping. She can't say anything. She, doesn't, she hears that Jesus is there, but she doesn't even go to see him. She stays back at the home and she comes later. And when she sees him, all she can do is cry. She's so upset. And Jesus has been talking about raising Lazarus from the dead since before Lazarus was dead. He knew what he was going to do, and yet when he sees Mary, all he can do is cry. He weeps. Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, but probably one of the most powerful ones that we know that, yeah, there's hope, and Jesus knows what he's going to do, but he still understands how we feel, and he sees that in in Mary. He he understands. He has compassion. He has empathy. He knows how she feels, and he weeps, and then he says, Lazarus, come out. And there's a great big party. Here we're joined at uh, John chapter 11, verse 45 to to 53. A lot of people had heard about this story of of Lazarus. Um, It wasn't every day that someone was raised from the dead, especially not after four days of being dead. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up, You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. So we see even before... Even before Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the Pharisees, these people are already plotting to kill him. They're, they're doing this out of a selfish motive, though. They're, they think that Jesus is going to become so famous and so popular that he's going to start this great uprising, this movement that's going to, um, you know, these people were under Roman rule. Uh, they were not very happy. Um, and so he was, they were thinking that, that these people would come and follow Jesus and they would riot. Um, and then Rome would come and they would squash not only the rebellion, but they would take out more destruction against the people of Israel. They wanted to arrest Jesus to kind of save themselves, to keep their place. And now the Messiah had been prophesied about, and these people are hearing and they're seeing the things that Jesus had done. And they're coming from all over going, could this be anyone else but him? We move on to John we're going to keep going in John eleven. Therefore Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews, instead he withdrew to a region near the desert, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple area they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so they might arrest him. Again, at this point, everyone knows that the religious leaders of the Pharisees, they're out to get Jesus. Uh, He goes off by himself with his disciples. He gets out of town for a little while. And, And you can see the people, they're kind of... They're wondering, okay, Jerusalem was the right place to celebrate the Passover. And you can almost kind of see them, uh, you know, the money changers in the temple kind of taking bets. Is he going to show? Is he not going to show? Is he going to show? Is he not going to show? So he's out in the wilderness. They're afraid. The word is out. If you see Jesus, you've got to tell us, and we're going to grab him. Um, of course, he did show up, and he didn't try to sneak into the city. But when he came, he came in riding on a donkey. Um, but there's one last thing that he did, one one more place that he stopped before he went into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and that's where our passage comes from this morning. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. I'm reading out of the New International Version if it doesn't look exactly like um, your pew Bible. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. The account of this episode in uh, Matthew and Mark tells us that the dinner was held in a home of a man known as Simon the leper. Um, so apparently, Lazarus wasn't the only one in this town who Jesus had healed. Um, so we have Simon, Lazarus, Mary, Martha. They're, having this, they're throwing a dinner for Jesus, in order to show him their gratitude, in order to thank him, um, Mary and Martha, it's it's come on for dinner. You you saved our brother. Um, they're having uh, you know we kind of have these all the times these banquets to to honor something great that someone has done. At some point during the dinner, we see that Mar- that Mary, um, who was the same Mary that. When she was upset that Jesus wept, it's that same one, the same Mary, got up. She took an extremely valuable jar of perfume made of pure nard, which I found out um, it grows like somewhere in the Himalayas. Very, very, very rare. Uh, probably cost, we could say, maybe it costs $50,000 in today's money, um, a year's wages uh, for an average worker. She took the most expensive thing that she owned. And she poured it on Jesus' body and wipes his feet with her hair. Um, And this morning, we're going to kind of look at the significance of this event um, and to see what it can tell us, uh, not only about the way we worship God, but the way we live our lives. Uh, The first thing to understand about this is that this was not a payment. Um, Jesus didn't go up to Bethany, and when he saw Mary and Martha, they were weeping and crying, and he said, Okay, okay, hold on, hold on. Before I raise Lazarus from the dead, you have to promise that you will take bottle of perfume and pour it on my feet. He didn't say that. Um, he he didn't, he didn't tell them that it was going to cost 50000 If you pay me $50,000, I'll raise Lazarus from the dead. He never did that. Um, this, this wasn't some kind of payment. Uh, this wasn't a, a payment back for what he did. Um, it wasn't, um, you know, there was no contract in place. This was not mandatory. Um, it wasn't written in the scripture somewhere that the price for bringing someone back to life was a bottle of pure nard. Um, It wasn't that. And actually, if anything, from the passage, we can tell that Jesus doesn't really care about money at all. Who did he put in charge of the money bag? Judas. (laughs) Nobody else even realized it at this point. John is kind of looking back and going, Judas, yeah, he was a thief, and he helped himself whenever he wanted to. Um, Jesus didn't care. He wasn't constantly, you know, going up to Judas. How much do we have now? How much do we have now? You know, that's not like us. I've got... I've got an app for that, you know. (laughs) I've got my bank account on my phone. I can check it anytime I want. You know, I type in my password. It shows up, okay, I've got money. Okay, I don't have money. Um, (laughs) Usually I've got a little bit of something. Um, But he doesn't care about money. We see that. It doesn't matter to him. We see that the love of money was what kind of helped nudge the way for Judas even to betray Christ, that he exchanged his master for 30 pieces of silver. Okay? It wasn't about that. This wasn't a payment, and Jesus didn't care about money, if anything. You know, money was not a priority to him. Um, you know, how could you put a price on someone's life? Now, if he had asked them, if he did say, I can raise him for this amount of money, they would have said yes. They would have. But how can we, there's, that's, there's no price. We cannot put a price on someone's life. And Jesus didn't do that. He never asked for a payment. He didn't say, you need to throw me a party. He did it out of his love for them. It's the same way when we deal with Jesus. Jesus never sits us down and says, okay, I'll save your soul. But before, before we do this, we need to make a contract. You need to go to church. You need to help old ladies across the street. Um, You need to tithe. You need to save yourself from marriage. You need to do three nice things for every one bad thing. Jesus never makes a kind of an agreement like that with us. He doesn't do that. Um, And yet so many of us, we live as if that's what Jesus has done, as if we've kind of entered into a contract with him where we owe him. We don't owe him. We couldn't pay him. There's nothing, there's nothing that we could do that would even be worth the price of our soul. We couldn't. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us that, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You know, We're saved by faith. We're not saved by something we do. And that faith isn't even something that we have. That faith God gives us. You know, if Jesus had told us that we had to be nice and go to church and help old ladies across the street and all those things, we would have done it. But that wouldn't have been a just payment for what he's done for us. You know, nothing that we could ever do would be enough to pay God back for what he's already done for us in Jesus. You know, that's why it's a gift. Because if it was up to us, we'd never be able to earn it anyway. All the money and all the good deeds and everything in the world is not enough to buy our salvation. We cannot purchase our souls from God. So the second thing to understand, the first thing, if you're taking notes for confirmation class, Griffin. <laughs> oh. The first thing, this was not a payment. Second thing to understand is this, this was not a selfish act. This was not something Mary was not trying to draw the attention to herself and go, Everybody, look at me. Look at what I'm doing for Jesus. We don't know anybody like that, do we? She didn't say this so people would look at her and go, oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> she didn't do that. She didn't, you know, why, why would we even think that? Because we all know people like that, don't we? We know people who do nice things for other people or do things for God but it's not really about doing nice things for other people. It's not really about doing nice things for God. It's really about me. You know, it's all a show. That's how the Pharisees live. That's how these people. The Pharisees looked so good from the outside that the people that Jesus was, was talking to couldn't understand how there was even a chance that these people might not be in heaven. Jesus said Jesus said that, and everyone went, well, What? How how? How do we get there? But but what they did wasn't for God, but they did it for themselves. They did it to look good on the outside. They did a really great job of cleaning up the outside so that other people might see them and praise them for what they did. You know, if I can be honest for a moment, you know, I'm, I'm very skeptical of a lot of people who do good things for other people. And I always kind of question the motivations behind everything, the, the, the nice things people do, because... I know myself, and I know how intoxicating it can be to do things for God or to do things for others, and to receive praise for that. It feels so good. when people notice something that you've done and they tell you, and you're like, "Oh man, I'm awesome." You know, I don't really say that. Um, hopefully you don't say that either, but you know it feels great. It feels incredible to receive praise from someone for something you've done, to be noticed. You know, I know it's true about me. I know it's true about other people that when we're honest with ourselves and we really look at the motivations behind our good works, sometimes the things aren't what they seem. I have a friend of mine who is an oncology nurse, and she was telling me that she was going out to dinner at Ruth's Chris. I was like, whoa, someone must like you a lot. She said, yeah, the drug companies. You know, they, they bring them food and they take them out to dinner in order to tell them about a product. Um, you know, it looks great from the outside. It looks like, oh, you know, take you out to dinner. We appreciate what you do. You work with people that have cancer. Let us tell you what a great job you're doing. But really, it's about, let us tell us about your product. You know, here's my great new drug. I'm going to make a bazillion dollars off of this. They don't say that. But it's part of the business. It's part of, it's part of how they operate, and I understand that. Um, but so oftentimes, aren't we kind of like that? On the outside, it looks like a charitable, it looks like a kind thing. But really, it's a promotion for ourselves when our acts of service can turn into just acts of self-promotion. And part of our vision for students in the youth ministry is to get them, um, we're walking with them, but to kind of get them and teach them um, to live a sacrificial life, which means that their life is not about themselves, it's about others, and we try to do things that can kind of get the focus off of ourselves and onto other people. But let me tell you something, there is a real danger in that. And the danger is that a lot of times we could wind up teaching behavior without addressing the heart. It's really easy. Our sacrificial acts of love can turn into service because I'm supposed to really quickly. It becomes an obligation and not an act of love. Many people give to the church, they give to the poor, they serve others out of a feeling of obligation or guilt, or in order to feel better better about themselves, and that is fulfilling a selfish need. It just is. It's it's a lot easier to teach or model good behavior, to practice good behaviour than it is to address the own issues that we have in our heart. You know, what are we gonna do about Jesus? It's a lot easier to make Pharisees than it is to make disciples. And that's kind of the danger that we that we that we look at the danger I encounter all the time. What am I doing with these kids? You know, am I just teaching them that they should be nice to people because they're supposed to be nice to them? They should have good manners? Or is this an outpouring of the love that they've received from God that they want to demonstrate back to him? It's really tricky. You know, Mary her act of anointing Jesus, it it wasn't to draw attention to herself, but it was to put all the attention on Jesus. You know, she took this entire jar of perfume, uh, and in Matthew and Mark, it said that she anointed his head. So basically, she's covering his entire body with this really fragrant perfume. And everyone in the room, everyone probably outside, there's people. They're waiting. They're waiting to see Jesus. They've heard that there's Lazarus is inside. He's actually eating and drinking. When's the last time you saw someone dead eat and drink? Um, so he's inside with Jesus, and then there's this smell, and everyone's going, "What's that? Oh, it's Jesus." She puts all the attention onto Jesus instead of taking it for herself. She didn't do it to feel better about herself. She didn't do it so that everyone would think that she was better than them. And she didn't do it to show off her wealth, which we, apparently she was very wealthy in order to have this jar of perfume. So the third thing, why did she do this? She did this because she was grateful. This was a display of gratitude for an act of grace. This is just a great big thank you to Jesus. She did the only thing that she knew how to do, and that was to pour out her most valued possession, the whole thing, not just a little bit. Mark and Matthew tell us that she broke the jar when she did this. She didn't just dump out a little bit, to demonstrate that Jesus to Jesus that she was so grateful for what he did and also for what he was about to do. You know, less than a week later, we see this Messiah, this Savior, hanging on a wooden cross. And Mary understood that. Jesus spoke about that often. He said, the Son of Man will be lifted up. He understood everyone knew that if he went back to Jerusalem for the Passover, he was not going to come back out. They knew that. His disciples knew that. They didn't want to accept it. They, it's kind of, sometimes we hear bad news, and we keep acting as if we never heard it. Jesus told them over and over and over again, this is what I'm going to do. Peter, you're going to deny me. I'll never do that. She knew that this might be the last opportunity she had to say thank you to Jesus to what he had done for her. She had sat at his feet. She saw him perform miracles, even raise her brother from the dead. She saw him cry when she was heartbroken. She loved him and she wanted to say thank you. She knew the only thing that she could do was to give him everything. Um, And again, let's be clear, this is not a repayment. Um, She couldn't have paid Jesus back, even if she wanted to. Um, But this was a thank you. It was a sign of gratitude. With our uh, youth ministry website, we've got it hosted. I'm not going to explain how websites work if you don't know. But basically, we have a site. And uh, we have a, a server, a host, that keeps our website up and running. Now, I maintain everything, and I put it on our host. Usually you pay money every month to, for them to keep it online so people can see it. Um, for us, it was about uh, 10 or $15. I, it's kind of a shady connection, but I've, anyway, I found this guy through one of the kids <laughs> in the church that he knew online. And so when I was looking for a host, he said, oh, I'll give you my friend Greg. He'll give you a great price on it. I was thinking, okay, this is weird. You're in eighth grade, how do you know these people? Um, it's, it's really strange. Anyway, so I paid him our first $15 um, to get our website up and running. This is about two years ago. I'm supposed to send you an email every month to remind you that you need to pay. Of course, okay, part of our, we'll put it on our church youth account, that's fine, no problem. You know, the first month I didn't get anything. I'm thinking, okay, maybe I paid already for that month. and the second month and the third month, and finally it was about six months and I called him up and I said, hey, Greg, we, you haven't, we haven't paid anything for our website. I mean, it's up and it's there. I mean, you just haven't charged us. And he told me a story. His daughter, who's 11 years old, was killed in a car accident. She was walking back home from her friend's birthday party. He said the church and the people of God surrounded their family and showed them so much love that he just wanted to say thank you. There was no way he was going to charge us. It was awesome. He never told me that. You know, I don't have his name real big on our website. Look at Greg. Look what he did. I've never even met him. He lives in Indiana. But he did this as a a sign of gratitude, as a thank you to God for what he did in his life. We saw the same thing in the Dominican Republic a couple years ago. We were there, and we were working on this sewing school that had a leaky roof, part of a church and this where women come and they learn how to sew so they can support their families they live in this village where literally i can't even describe it to you you have to go there if you want to come talk to me okay uh dominican republic 2010 so we're there and we worked on this roof and you know the people this roof was leaky and there was no way that they could pay to have someone come and fix it there's no way they couldn't even afford to like buy the materials and do it themselves okay they have nothing there's no money that they have and so we went there, and we helped them, and we worked on it. As a sign of their gratitude, these uh, women had this special service for us in the church. And they sang us songs, and they were praising God, and they are praying for us, and they are blessing us. It was incredible. And we don't deserve this. Please, like, stop. You're embarrassing us. This is nothing. This is like a week of vacation in a tropical paradise. in Republic 2010. Um, Laughter. But it was unbelievable. It was so beautiful. They didn't have anything, but they gave us all that they had. Isn't that how we're supposed to say thank you to what Jesus has done for us? In Mark 12, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor woman came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They, gave, they all gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Jesus didn't condemn this woman. He didn't say, look at this fool. She had two cents and she gave it to God. Now she has nothing and she's going to starve to death. He didn't say that. He didn't criticize or condemn Mary when the others were. Really, it was all Judas was kind of saying, oh, I want to get my hands on the money. But he's saying, look at what she's done. It's beautiful. This is so beautiful. She gave me everything. It's not a payment. We don't get credit. We don't get bonus points or bonus miles or anything like that. But it's our way of saying thanks. And that's really the real lesson for us this morning is that just a few days after this, again, Jesus would display the ultimate act of grace by taking our sin upon himself. We're watching The Passion of the Christ this morning in Sunday school. Uh, We watched the first part this morning. Next Easter Sunday, we're going to watch the second part. It is unbelievable, unbelievably moving. If you haven't watched it, um, just go watch it and grab a box of tissues. But Jesus is there in the garden and he's praying, Father, take this away from me. Don't let me have to do this. If you can. But it's not about what I want. It's your will. This is what Jesus was saying. It wasn't pleasant. He wasn't comfortable up on the cross. He wasn't laughing and joking around with the guys. and It was excruciating. It was, it was our punishment. And he took it upon himself. The weight of the world put on his shoulders and there is no way we could ever pay jesus back for what he did even if we wanted to this is not about earning our salvation we can't do that but we can say thank you we can show him how much we love him you know how can i respond how will i thank him how can i use what i have how can i use everything i have to make sure that i point back to jesus You know, are we going to be like the rich men who give a lot, but really it's just a little bit? That's nothing. Look what they have. I'll give a little here. I'll give a little here. No big deal. Are we going to be like the widow? Everything that she had, she poured out for Jesus. Everything. She didn't save anything for herself. Are we going to do that? Will I just drop a little bit here and there? Will I give to God out of my wealth? Or will I I show my gratitude in my humility? Will I give out of my poverty? Will I be like Mary? Will I be so generous to God that other people can't even understand it and they'll tell me to stop it? Stop it. Do something better with your money. Invest in your kid's education. Buy a house. Do something. Do something worthwhile. Do I understand that this is how Jesus loved me? That he poured out his life for me. That he died on a cross for me and for you. Jesus says that it will be Mary's legacy that wherever the gospel is told, so will this story. What a legacy this woman is forever known as the one who anointed Jesus before he before he died who gave everything that she had who who used her greatest possession in order to bring honor and glory to Jesus you know what what's what's my legacy going to be what's your legacy going to be you know is it, a, is it a house is it a big family is it a is it being a nice person Or will my legacy be that of a, of a man or woman of God who loved Jesus so passionately? Whose, life, whose whole life was a display of gratitude. That everything that they have and are points others to Jesus to draw all the attention to him. Let me just close with a, a quote from uh, James Montgomery Boyce. He says, if we are not a blessing to others, if seeing us does not make them think of Jesus... If our lives are boring and unfulfilling, we should do what Mary did. Get down on our knees before Jesus and give him our all. Pour out our lives for him. Don't hold back. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we're challenged by the story of a woman who loved you so passionately. Father, we understand that this is not about paying you back for something you did for us because we could never do that. Father, but this is just about showing our gratitude for who you are and for what you've done. Father, forgive us for the times when we act and do great things in order to get the praise of other people, that we do it to fulfill some kind of selfish desire. Father, help us to, with everything that we are, to point other people and to point everyone we know back to you.